here are two rather contrasting sounds. That and this. In their own ways, they both link to similar ideas, moving from place to place, imbuing people with the good news, and ultimately saying goodbye, but with a note of hope. One. 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 I don't believe that anybody is beyond forgiveness, but I think that doesn't mean that you shouldn't challenge the injustice that's been perpetrated. When people sit down together who hold opposing views, they recognise not only their differences, but the things they hold in common. We have monthly activities for elderly. We try and address the need of our community at the point of need. This is One Voice. Because we're all the same. Well, this is arguably one of our most poignant episodes yet, but it's still a celebration. This is the June episode of One Voice, and you're very welcome to it. The Reverend Romeo Pedro has some things he'd like to say to you, recollections, reflections, and a postscript to the time he spent here and before he makes his move to Sheffield. I'd also really like to illustrate another story for you. Like... Romeo's experiences, it transcends global borders. It's the very epitome of a glorious and perhaps unexpected union, faith and sport. I'd become aware of this organisation after Mackenzie had gone to three of their Easter football camps at his primary school. And you'll meet one of the directors on the podcast quite soon. So, to the first part of what's a two-part chat with the Reverend Romeo Pedro. This is One Voice. Well, do you know, Romeo, it doesn't seem like that long ago since we sat here in this very spot. The Reverend Francis was here too. And you spoke, amongst other things, of community hubs, and people being able to tell their stories, uh, lay down any differences potentially that they may have had, and understand each other more. And then COVID materialised, of course. It was a pandemic that you know we know brought about personal loss to many people yourself included and tremendous challenges for the church are you are you a different minister to before do you think and if so how yeah john um i am i don't know how anybody could have gone through this and come out on the other side the same um as you say we've had I've had so many dreams for the Methodist Church here in Northampton, particularly with regard to connecting to the community. And uh, this is one of the reasons why this podcast started, so that we could connect with the community. Uh, But, you know, physically connecting with the community, like, as I said at the time, wanting these buildings to become hubs where communities could build relationships. And then, as you say, COVID happened. And we had to find other ways of doing that kind of thing. Uh, And suddenly I found myself having to learn stuff that I've never dreamt of uh, doing before. Probably thought about doing them, but 
then was forced to to do them, uh, learning to uh, about social, you know, lots more about social media and ministry uh, on the internet uh, and connecting on places like Zoom. Uh, so yes, I've 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 learned to connect with people um, in other ways uh, than the ways that we usually do, like coffee mornings and all that kind of things. So yeah, uh, definitely a different person coming out on the other side. But the coffee is more virtual. That's now, right. Yeah, won't. yeah, yeah. Having a coffee <laughs> while you're having a Bible study on Zoom or, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. Yes. Yeah. It might not be as strong or with milk and sugar, <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, it's, yeah, but it's there. Yeah. I mean, in conversations that we've had on the, the podcast, you admitted to asking those big questions, particularly when faced with inequality, seeing other people in this desperate uh, poverty, abject poverty, particularly back home. You know, and those questions like, why is the world the way it is? Why is there poverty? So what happens when the the answers aren't there for you? Well, John, it's a very difficult question and I'm one of the first ones to admit that I, I have no problems with living with uncertainty and with unanswered questions. I think sometimes I am very careful of people who have neat answers to things because that's not how life is. Um, I wish I had a magic wand to uh, make sure that there's no injustice in the world. Um, and so when I'm confronted with those big questions, um, it it comes back to a personal response to those things. You know, believing in God, that empowers me to, to do something about it. But in the end, in my area where I am, the place where I minister, the place where I live, what difference can I make to make the world a, a better place? Um, so, yeah, I, in the face of, of all of those questions for me, uh, my faith car- carries me to personalize the issue and then to actually do something about the issue, but also uh, creating a space where people who uh, who have those questions and um, can uh, can talk. Um, somebody said to me the other day, it's quite reassuring to hear you speaking from the pulpit about the fact that you have doubts about certain things as well. Uh, because I, I remember growing up uh, being faced with preachers and ministers who have all the answers and thinking, you know, I'm quite scared of these people. I don't want to get close to them because that's not how I am. So I try and live with these questions as openly as I can so that people can have a space to actually talk about those questions that they have. Uh, and it's a very relatable thing, isn't it? It's a universal thing to yeah. to not know, to to use that term closure, to not have clear-cut answers and closure on something. Do, do you think that inevitably makes the Methodist Church and that style a more relatable, approachable body? I would really hope so. We in the Methodist Church we talk about uh, living, you know, with contradictions. We're a, a very broad church, we say. So you know, we try and make space for everyone. So you'd have in 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 the space you would have people who have all the ready answers and those who who are on the other end of the spectrum with loads of questions. And as you say. 
um, creating a space where people feel that they can be who they are. It's difficult maintaining that space because people um, naturally defer and would want to uh, convince other people of their opinion. But making the conscious decision to, to keep that space as broad as you can so that people can uh, relate to whatever experience they bring and bring that into that exp uh, into into that space. Mm. And uh, of course, we all know this now um, that the news has, has been spread far and wide. One of those questions has uh, been, Romeo, can you come to Sheffield? Yeah. I, I feel like I should be doing the phone, Romeo. Oh. <laughs> Romeo, can you come to Sheffield, yeah. uh, South Yorkshire? Did you? I mean, did you? In that context, context of questions and intuition, did, did you know instinctively that uh, that, that going to Sheffield? Uh, in a new role would be a yes from you and, a, and an easy shout? Again, you, you're asking very difficult questions today. Uh, because we, you know, I've been, next year I would have been, I would be in ministry 30 years. And as a Methodist minister, we move every five years and then, you know, we can, we have the option to stay on. So I was going to move next year anyway. So I was beginning to prepare myself for going, but I never expected to get this phone call to say that I would have to, you know, would you be willing to go um, earlier than anticipated? So in one sense, when I got the phone call, I immediately got into my head into a space of, uh, if this is where God is leading me, then I will go. Uh, but when I visited, I think, uh, when I visited and met the people, I knew in that moment that this 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 is a one of those God moments. Um, I think, uh, and the thing with me uh, is that I I really can make home anywhere. Uh, you put me somewhere, and I'll be able to find my my place, and 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 minister in that situation. I didn't know anything about Northampton. Well, I, I mean, you know, every day can be a school day, can't it? Yeah, I think yeah, in yeah, those yeah, contexts. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, you know, um, do you think there are kind of components of that uh, journeyman, peripatetic lifestyle that have to be in place to make it easier? So, for example, uh, I, I know for you and from, from Facebook posts, it might be, you know, cooking dishes that are rooted in home or something to do with the garden. So were there places in Sheffield? Because I, I can imagine that people that know you from here in Northamptonshire uh, probably find it quite comforting to know that, you know, the move is seamless and you feel you know comfortable there, you feel at home there. Are there things that have to be in place to make it so, to make it like that? Well, as I say, you know, as long as I have a place to lay my head down uh, and... Uh, the simple things in in life, and and I'm thinking that if I uh, if if there's a backyard and and I can make a little fire <laughs> and have a barbecue, I'll be happy. Um, so, yeah, I'm not very picky. I I think wherever I go, I would stay connected to home in Namibia by you know cooking and barbecuing we call it braai 
um, and cooking in my little three-legged pot outside on a Friday night and listening to music from home. Um, it's this thing about anchoring myself uh, to to Namibia and not forgetting my roots, and I'll do that in Sheffield as well. And, and I know you told me um, before we uh, recorded this, this part of the conversation that uh, the man's home, as it were, has been found. I mean, is there anything... I don't want to sound like a property programme <laughs> at all, <laughs> yeah. but but is there something that out of 5, 10, 15 other potential manses that that makes you and, and your wife and your family, therefore, think, right, that's, that's the one? Yeah. South Yorkshire Stone or... Yeah, that, that as well, but uh, I'm not a, an expert in that kind of thing. But it was, I think it was the space um, and the the garden that immediately attracted us to the place. Uh, both of us saw possibilities. Um, and yeah, it's, it's a nice place in a nice community, I think. Um, and soon we'll be making uh, new friends there as well. How is your uh, your knowledge of Sheffield terminology in South Yorkshire very different to uh, oh to Northamptonshire I in <laughs> accents and phrases? <laughs> Almost like a foreign language. Oh, it? goodness, I've got to learn a new language, I think, when I yeah. get there. One of the first things somebody told me was that I've got to learn how to mash my tea. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the noz. Uh, so yeah, So there yeah. are loads of things that I've got to learn, but... Uh, looking forward to, to, to learning those things yeah. as well, yeah. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, happy to give you some handy hints whenever. Yeah. Being uh, born there as, a, as I am, or was, I should say. Road is ruined. Oh, really? Ruined. 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 Am I saying <laughs> that's this right? Good. That is very good. <laughs> I tell you, 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 you will be able to assimilate instantly with that your South Yorkshire accent. Mm-hmm. And you know is Vanoz. Vanoz. Vanoz, yeah. Goodness. And if it's, if it's a if it's a really really strong Sheffield accent, I mean, and I don't think you'll come across this very often. Night is neat. Neat. Yeah. Night. There we go. I'll have, essential... have, I'll have to come for lessons, John. John. <laughs> There's more to come on Romeo's next chapter when we return to the second part of that conversation recorded recently at the manse where Romeo lives in Northampton. Now, where sport meets. Jesus. There are, of course, a good few examples of heroic sporting feats by sportsmen and women who carry a great faith. But what about children? Sometimes children just taking those first tentative steps into a popular sport like football, for example. How do they get to know Jesus as they hone those sporting skills? Join me for a conversation with Sue Marsden, one of the directors of SportsReach, which is an organisation that travels the world but was born in the Lancashire town of Carnforth. SportsReach is a Christian sports organisation. It's a charity and we're based in the northwest of England, but we work worldwide. And basically our motto is reaching the world for Christ through sport. So we coach and we play sport. Uh, coach young people and uh, adults and we play the game football and netball mostly and at every event we share about the Lord Jesus. There are three main aspects to the work 
Um, so the first one is that we have adult leagues running for yeah football and netball in the northwest, and we also have soccer and netball schools which run in the school holidays, working with churches, and that's up and down the country. And then we have mission trips and and football tours around the world. Well, Sue, my not-so-little one um, who's been at a few of yours when they were in Northamptonshire over the years, the first thing he did last night, coming back to get changed into sort of his uh, casual clothes, as it were, normal clothes, was reach for his Sports Reach T-shirt. So <laughs> the message is still loud and, uh, and, and proud with him. Was there a, a, um, a particular moment, would you say, that showed the way for how sport and faith could gel together, you know, kind of unite? Well, myself and my husband, Will, are the directors at the moment. We've been involved in Sports Reach for um, 20 years now, but we are not actually the founders. The founder is a guy called Graham Stamford, and he was saved at the age of 15, and he was football crazy. And uh, he went to Bible school and then started to serve the Lord. And he was challenged, why don't you put your, your love of sport football in particular together with your love for for the lord jesus and uh, and get a couple of teams together on a football field and then at the end sit them down and tell them the gospel the good news of the lord jesus and he said oh i don't think that would work um but he tried it and it did work and so that was the start back in the early 90s and then it's progressed from there with a lot of prayer we've built a a prayer support uh, throughout the world and uh, gone into other sports as well but that was where it all began is it doing something do you think and do you think that churches just can't really do with kids you know in that traditional format the way we work is that we kind of enable the churches um to get started with with the sports mission if you like so we go and we work alongside the churches and we bring our own coaches and help them in this. Following on from that, some of the churches have taken it on board for themselves and they'll run, for instance, a Saturday soccer and netball uh, Saturday morning and they do a very similar thing to us, but on a smaller scale. But um, then you get in a regular contact with everyone that has been involved with the soccer and netball school that we've run with the church. So, yeah, we, we kind of hope that uh, we go along and run the, the soccer and netball school for, say, for one week. But we hope that the impact will continue and that the church will take on board what we've done. And, and as well with the adult side, we've got the churches involved with the leagues that we run. So every league team is church based. And but we are kind of enabling them to get a team together of those who are belonging to the church and Christians, but also those who maybe don't have contact with the church. So they're able to bring young men and women in to their football and netball teams and enabling them to get alongside them and play a sport that they love, but also to share um, the good news with them and to get alongside them and um, maybe invite them to other things in the church. So, yeah, I think that possibly we do run something which isn't easy for a church to start, but that once we've got that connection going, that maybe it's something that they can continue themselves. I've noticed seeing it firsthand that there's something very uh, effusive about the way sports reach is run. Almost there's there's like the feeling of the of, of a gospel church really, and the liveliness, how very animated things are. Do you, I mean, and I yeah. can I can I can say this Sue as somebody that comes yeah. from the north. Do you, do you think that's a northern thing? Do you think that if actually sports reach had been 
conceived and grown in the south that it might be more restrained that the northern lends something to it oh well i hadn't really thought about that but <laughs> maybe maybe you've got a point <laughs> although we do have um, plenty of southerners who, who do join mm. our merry band of coaches and they do get very enthused and uh, yeah. Yeah, we do quite a lot of work in down in Kent, especially, and uh, yeah. some of those guys join us in other places around. And yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe there is something about the north and the northern humour, etc., that uh, that we carry around with us. Is there a, is there a battle at times to not let competitiveness take over with the kids? Because sometimes it can get quite quite pointed, yes. I guess, can't it? <laughs> uh, yeah, we. Um, there's a big variety, like when we run our soccer schools, especially there's there's children who've played a lot of football and netball and maybe have that more competitive edge. And there are children who've never played before. So it's a it's a good mix bringing together. Um, but yeah, we do make it competitive in some ways because um, on the final day of the soccer and netball school, we have what we call the World Cup matches which um, we invite the parents to come along to. So all the practice matches during the week are building up for these World Cup matches. But we do try to to make the key word for that Saturday, encourage. And uh, we say not everyone's going to win, but just do our best and enjoy it and en- encourage the teams. Um, but yeah, competitive sport. Yeah, it does come with issues, doesn't it? And, and you get a lot of competitive parents coming along and cheering the children on as well. Yeah. But, uh, generally, we do have more of an emphasis on on the fun side and and uh, yeah, just being good sportsmen, really sportsmen and women, if we can. <laughs> What's a story of of real uh, sports reach success wherever in the world that's that's kind of stayed with you, Sue? Um, I think my mind immediately would go to Kenya. Uh, we've been going to Kenya since two thousand and four. Uh, where my husband, Will, and Graham, the founder, they went, just the two of them, to work with a pastor uh, in quite a rural area. And they went for a couple of weeks there and they basically did some Bible teaching and they played football with the Kenyan teams. And you'd get big crowds, two or 3,000 people come along to watch these matches, which is amazing in these rural villages. And then you've got this amazing opportunity to share the the gospel with them um, and to point them in the direction of the pastors who always are there at the the matches. So we've been going there since 2004 and probably a highlight from that is we went back there last November and we've now helped establish a small sponsored school there, uh, which is very much on our hearts at SportsReach. And one of the pastors had a vision for starting a little Christian school to um, help children in the poor area and also to give them a great education, but also to teach them from the Bible. And so now we've started this little school in 2019 and we started with just seven pupils, but now we've uh, built up to almost 70 in um, three years. And that's really on my heart to share that that is a highlight at the moment and just to be able to be a witness and a help to those in Kenya who are less fortunate but just to spend time with them in November was amazing when we go to Kenya it's a little bit different from our work over here obviously but 
just a small team of us went in November and we went into 15 different schools and you can get the whole school out and they'll do an assembly. So you might have 800, 900 children in front of you and you can do a fun, enthusiastic assembly and just share the gospel of Jesus with them. And yeah, and the response you get is amazing. And then obviously we, we do the sport with them as well. We do football and netball with them and, and we give out kit to the school and Bibles. Um, so yeah, when we were there in November, just five of us were able to share the gospel with around 10,000 people over 12 days, which I think is quite phenomenal. So I really thank God for opening the door into Africa. We've been to many African countries. We've also been to South America and into Asia. Another highlight is when we go over to Burma and we're working there in a small community and yeah, there's loads of highlights I could wow. pick out, but maybe that one. I assume then there are ways in which the uh, the, the mission, the activity of sports reach has, has driven or, or reinterpreted your faith. Well, now this might surprise you, but as a, as a youngster, I wasn't particularly interested in sport at all. And I didn't play football or netball. My husband, Will, was a keen footballer. And I became a Christian at the age of 15. I'd always gone to church, but I realized at 15 that I was just going to church and I, I wasn't a true follower of Jesus. So um, at 15, I got down on my knees and I asked the Lord to forgive my sin and to come and, and change my heart. And he did. And from there, um, both Will and I were originally farmers and we do still farm a little but it was kind of a gradual process from there and hearing about sports reach and being called into sports reach. Yeah, that, that kind of gave, gave us a platform for sharing the gospel because we'd always been passionate about the Lord. He's done so much in our lives and helped us um, through, yeah, very tragic times uh, as well as great times. Um, I lost my brother when he was just 19 years old and this um, really set both mine and Will's heart on focus on sharing the gospel with young people because uh, we hope to have a long life but life can be very brief and of course everyone needs to hear the good news um, so through sport this has kind of enabled us to share the good news I mean now I've, I've grown to love sport even football and I've played probably in around 16 or 17 countries around the world and it's not because I'm a great footballer but it's because <laughs> I love the Lord and I want to share the good news with people and that's just given me an amazing uh, opportunity to share like my brother was just 19 when he died and I've stood on a field in Kenya with a thousand people young men similar age to my brother mm -hmm. and just to be able to tell them about God and, and his love for us and so it's really given an outlet for be able to share and a platform to share the gospel. Sue Marsden speaking about Sports Reach and sportsreach.org.uk is where you can see their website sportsreach.org.uk I seem to have got a co-presenter. Hi. You, where have you just come from? Um, somewhere. Yeah, well, I'm sure it is somewhere. So, Mackenzie, on uh, the weekend just gone, as we were recording this, okay. you helped out, didn't you, with the coffee morning at mm -hmm. Lois's house that she has quite regularly. Yeah, this was a, right. a new role for you, so d d t mm. tell us what you did. So, um, I was a servant, like the only <laughs> one to like to serve the food and the drinks. Yeah. I just 
felt really good about it serving people oh. um you also had uh, other people that were working the tables well there was uh, ryan Is it yeah ryan? ryan and so he did one bit while you did the other bit so yours was taking orders yeah so then what so people filled out the the paper the form yeah i took it in yeah brought the food yeah and riley brought um the um things that were left over back are you sure it was riley i think it was ryan i can't remember honestly <laughs> oh dear sorry it ryan. was one of those i'm not or sure riley. which and of course there were other people behind the scenes yeah. barbara and lois and you know uh, lots of other people not just about about mac obviously but um so what what could people choose then what kind of cakes um so they could have choose like a Victoria sponge cake, mm, mm. coffee and walnuts. Nice. Lemon cake. Um, you could have picked scones. It's really good because cheese. it raised lots yeah. of money for cheese. It mm. made, raised lots of money for Christian Aid. Did you did you get any cake yourself as um, the waiter? Yeah. What did you have? Um. So I had. A brownie like thing. <laughs> I'm not sure what it was called. It yeah. had like raisins in it. Okay. It was yummy. Yeah. And a um I can't remember the other thing now. Oh, okay. Lemon cake. Lemon cake. Wow, what a combination. And the sun was out, the garden looked lovely, people were chatting away, so it worked really well, didn't it? Yeah, everybody it did. was happy. Thank you very much. You're welcome. This is one voice. Well, as he gets ever closer to a move to the Methodist Church in South Yorkshire, let's go back to Romeo. So letting go of Northampton, how difficult is that? It's really tough. I didn't realise it was going to be so tough. Northampton was the first place we came to in the UK. So we've made lots of friends. Um, I think, in a sense, this will be our UK home, always. Um and it's not so much the place as it it's it's the people the the many people that that we've got to know here that have been really really kind to us when those of us who come from other parts of the world when we come into this country um and we are christians we look for a church first and the church becomes your family so i will miss the many, many beautiful conversations I've had with people and the way in which people have inspired me here. I think of, I know she won't mind, I think of people like Viola in in Kingsthorpe, uh, who has just been such an inspiration to me. Betty at, in Park Avenue, and, and I can go on, and Mary in Harpole, uh, you know. Uh, all of these people are just such... Uh, I will never forget them. So it is it is difficult to let go, but I know that I've got to let go because I am going into another place where I will make new friends and yeah. meet new Violas and, mm. and Bettys and, and others, yeah. Of course. You have to adopt the, the wayside pulpit up there in Sheffield, yeah. but but write on the words in a in a Sheffield dialect. Of course, we, yeah, that's a brilliant idea. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe the locals will take kindly to it. I yeah, don't know, yeah, as long yeah. as I don't think it's a send-up, they're yeah. very good. I mean, uh, one thing that uh, I find very interesting is that you know, in, in any line of, of work or duty or both, it, it is possible to encounter regret um, yeah. and the sort of unfinished business. How, how does 
your faith allow for that? Is it you know is it able to be somehow assuaged by um, by what you believe? Mm. Yeah, just before or in December last year, I had one of the people from one of the churches deliver a load of uh, wood pallets here because they wanted to make a a planter for the garden. And so I started that and got really far but didn't finish it. And then I had an op in December unexpectedly and for you know for months I'm not I've not been able to use my my arm. So I've got this unfinished uh, planter in my garden. In in a sense, it's become a bit of a parable for for me about my ministry here in Northampton. But the, the the good thing about this planter is that you know I've started it, and uh, I haven't planted much in it. But there's lots of compost in there, and it really looks nice. And so whoever comes next, of course, will have the choice to either break it down or hopefully plant in it because the work is God's uh, that we're doing. It is not ours. I think it's Paul who talks about um, I plant and somebody else waters, but in the end it's God who who grows the work. So in that sense, my faith uh, gives me permission to leave things unfinished because I know that I'm only a vessel mm. in, in God's hand and that uh, God will continue God's work. It's God's work, it's not mine. Um, so yes, uh, so I'm taking this picture away with me of this planter and the possibilities uh, that I have created for somebody else with that planter. And it's the same thing in the circuit here. We've started with a process of transformation in the circuit and I'm living in the middle of all of that uh, feeling like I'm living this unfinished planter but uh, there are people uh, that God will continue to use uh, to to finish the business if it ever finishes so but, but conversely there will also be things that you uh, have been able to finish have been able to to complete uh, uh, changes alterations that I'm sure you and, and many people are extremely happy about and invigorated about um, c can you give us a you know maybe a, a sense of that well for me John uh, um, I think it, it is the fact that we've started this conversation about using the resources of the of the church more effectively um, conversations about the possible closures of buildings uh, of uh, pooling our resources not for the sake of uh, rearranging the deck but for making things a bit easier so that we could uh, do what we really called to do which is to share the love of Jesus in this community that we live in and I am extremely happy that I've been a part of that process of uh, starting that conversation, difficult as it has been. Um, but uh, for me, that is something I am extremely proud of. Um, I am also really 
uh, chuffed in a way with the uh, we you had a program the last time about local preachers and just as I go we are accrediting three local preachers that I've journeyed with over the last few years um, the challenge now of course is to find new ones because we always in need of local preachers but those are just two of the things I think that I uh, and that that I'm really happy about another one sorry you've caught me off guard here but the uh, the is I am very passionate about uh, creating uh, spaces where you know if people have questions about the faith the thing that we talked about earlier and a few years ago uh, we brought uh, a program into the circuit called Man and Mercy which uh, so many people have gone through and um, and have been discipled through that and it's 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 something I am extremely proud of that we were able to do that year and that we were able to help people to begin to think differently about their their faith, especially as it relates to issues of social justice. If I clear some space, as it were, for you, some, some ether on the podcast, what do you want to need to say to those that you're saying goodbye to? Yeah. The podcast is yours. Oh, John, <laughs> I wish I had hours to do this. But, yeah, I, I'd just love to say to people, thank you for inviting us into your space and for accepting us into your space. It has become our space too and we will forever be uh, grateful to you for accepting us amongst you. The second thing I'd love to to leave with people here is that I have always throughout the eight years that I've been here preached a message of tolerance and collaboration and I would really really hope that that has made a difference and that uh, that the whole notion of individualism and thinking just about me is something that I would have challenged we need each other uh, and the conversation that we have in the circuit about uh, the future is about that it's about us standing together and working with one another and loving each other. And the third and the last thing um, is that I have consistently spoken about the church being an outward looking place, connecting with our communities and, uh, and getting involved in the communities around us. And I'm hoping that as we move, as you move forward as a circuit, that you will always remember that it's it's not about us. We don't exist for ourselves. We exist for the world. Um, and I think those are the three things that I would have wanted to say as I leave. Thank you for that. That's beautifully put. And you've certainly been at the, the forefront of that. Um, what can I say? Thank you so much. And uh, for everything here on behalf of, of everyone that you've encountered, everyone that's become friends, etc., and, and and people that have attended your churches and, uh, and, and to your family, I hope it's a, a very seamless and happy move. Thank you, John.
and only right, I think, that we should end that chat with Guide, who is a very popular artist in Namibia, where Romeo, of course, is from, and a style of music called Langarm. Let's just take some time to tell you about the talent show that's running at Rawns Methodist Church in uh, the Nen Valley. Now, on Saturday the 18th of June, this month then, you can showcase your considerable talents. It begins at 5.30 there on the 18th with table talents on display, some of which you can buy, you can purchase those apparently. And the performances start at 7 and tickets are on the door at £5 or from the post office before then. And any money's raised from that will go to Rawn's Rise Up and Build project. What a fantastic project that is. And that is where we end this month's podcast. Until next time, look after yourself. Stories, community, and what brings us together. This is One Voice.